The following presentation is brought to you by The Realm Network, The Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Tuesday, September 4, 2018, and this is The Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi. Uh, lots of things to talk about uh, coming up on today's show. Buzz Burbank from Buzz Burbank News and Comment is here, of course. Uh, the Kavanaugh hearings are underway. They're happening right now, and it's not going well. It's not going well for Kavanaugh and the Republicans. Even though they're in control, it's just we'll, we'll, we'll get into it on the show later. Uh, plus, explosive excerpts from Bob Woodward's new book. They're here, and we'll cover everything. Holy God. This article is going to blow your mind. And also, it's not surprising at all. We'll get into that in just a second. I also have a few things to say about John McCain's funeral and the reaction by both the far left and the far right, of course. Lots of things to say there, too. And if the Twitter toddler in the White House has you completely stressed out, head on over to Bubble Genius and pick up their exclusive Republican voodoo doll, especially today. Featuring the face and body of our cartoon dictator, this item is only available for a limited time, so get yours now, only $25 at BubbleGenius.com, with a third of the proceeds going to support the campaigns of resistance candidates across the country. Plus, if you use our promo code BOBC at checkout, you'll get 15% off your entire order only at BubbleGenius.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. Here to comment is liberal justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You, you are coming and swinging, Justice. No, I can't go on a swing. I'm too tiny. Last time I went on a swing, I ended up in space. <laughs> it's nice to have nine justices again, because for the last year, you know, we've been a hung jury. Except for Justice Alito. That guy legislates from the bench, but he measures from the balls. That's a Ginsburn. What? All right, Justice, well, you, you might not... <laughs> you might not have a full bench for long because Justice Kennedy says he's considering retiring. Are you worried about that? Oh, yeah, of course I am. I, I can't wait to see the goon Trump brings in next. The Honorable Justice Steven Seagal. <laughs> Kennedy, Kennedy was supposed to be our swing vote, right? If he goes, it's going to be Justice Roberts. And if he's swinging, I'm taking my keys out of the bowl. <laughs> You smell like a what is, what is that? I don't know. It smells like smoke. What is it? It's a Ginsburn. Bob Seska. Today's Rachel Maddow Show Award for Headline Excellence goes to Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. Okay, I think we're all here, so let's dig in. It is the Trump crisis day 593, 62 days until the 2018 midterms and possibly the end of American democracy unless you vote. Yeah. Damn it. All right. right. Hello, Enrique? Hello. Enrique? Kevin, no, am I right? <laughs> Kevin, no. <laughs> 
I, Bob, I'm surprised I didn't know you wanted to talk to me. Uh, I, Kellyanne didn't say anything about it. <laughs> And so I didn't know. I would have. I would have been glad to talk to you. You know, during the show open, we lost you there for a second on the uh, ISDN line here. And uh, I know. And I can't so, wait to hear that tape on playback. I caught just a little bit of it. And I want to hear the rest. God damn it! God damn it! If there was any occasion for David Letterman to still be working in uh, in television and, comedy every night, there it is, and, right there. And John Stewart, right? John Stewart, right? right. Yeah, I can, no, I can, he has. He's taking care of little baby animals. Yeah, that's right. And you know, you know, with David though, David Letterman, I, this yeah. is something. Hello, Enrique would have been a bit for <laughs> yes. three, four weeks, I think, until <laughs> we would all been yeah, sick of it. it. It certainly would have. That yeah. would be trademark. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I keep forgetting to remind everybody. I'm I'm going to be appearing at the sexy liberal DC uh, comedy tour, the uh, the big uh, blue wave tour on September twenty so second. Sexyliberal.com is where you can get your tickets. I'm going to see uh, Daryl Hammond's going to be there, Malcolm Nance, Carl Frisch, Charlie Pierce, John Fugelsang, and of course Stephanie Miller herself. And then I'm going to be there too. I think I'm doing something at the very beginning, and then then I'm going to skedaddle. That's what that's when I'll start the drinking. It sounds like <laughs> everyone there is a sexy liberal except for daryl hammond i'm just not sure i would <laughs> liberal right. perhaps yeah you know, but th- that's where i draw the line oh and by the way everyone is raving about my interview with the great nancy mclean from last wednesday which well, no is no wonder uh, i knew it i knew it would be a home run yeah it's both uh scary and uh enraging so you want to go to our patreon page <laughs> right up your alley yeah ter- it's 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 a terrifying interview go and be terrified by my interview with nancy mclean she's by the way she's the author of democracy in chains you yes. can uh, b- pick up that book using our amazon link uh we talked about the Koch brothers the liberty amendments how that got started and the entire uh plot to rewrite the american constitution so <laughs> if if you have yeah if you have not heard this show bob's interview with nancy uh, go and do that uh, when you're finished here because it's worth your while uh, you'll learn a lot uh, she's an amazing an amazing woman yeah you got to go to bobsuska.com and click the all caps patreon link and it'll take you right there just scroll right on down and you can listen to the whole thing for free you don't have to pay a damn thing but if you're there make sure to subscribe to our bonus content so thank you for doing that Okay, so let's start off uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, Judge Judge Kavanaugh. He's not Justice Kavanaugh yet, but right. uh, I think this all comes down to this, Buzz, and I wish this was repeated more often in the actual hearings themselves, but the Democrats seem to be doing a fine job so far. They just, have, I think, have been a little light on this one point, which is that an agent of the Kremlin nominated this guy. Um, I don't care if he's the reanimated corpse of Earl Warren. It doesn't matter. An agent of the Kremlin nominated him. So therefore, all bets are off, right? Certainly, yeah. Certainly the Democrats who are there uh, know this and believe what you believe. And I perhaps believe it as fervently as you believe it. Mm. But they also know that they don't want to come off like raving lunatics That's to true. the American people. So although they know and you know, not everybody's completely up to speed on this. Yep. And to uh, make a statement that bold, at least this early in the proceedings, and you know, we still have a ways to go. Hopefully, the more the better. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, there'll be a chance to do that later if needed. It has been said that the Democrats must not play with uh, kid gloves in this. I'm sure I've mixed several metaphors there, but uh, they, the Democrats should not <laughs> tread lightly, that they should they, that they should uh, go into this forcefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, they're off to a pretty good start. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the key to this is going to be uh, wearing down Kavanaugh. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the advice that I've heard, and I don't know if they're taking it or not, is to, if you're a Democrat uh, there, uh, to question him as a prosecutor would question a hostile witness. That's right. If they, if they handle it professionally and they handle it in that way, uh, they can accomplish an awful lot. Yeah. If nothing else, if nothing else, to shake him, break him down. Well, the contrast is that they're not violating any rules. The Democrats right. are actually doing whatever it is that they normally should be doing in an opposition setting, right? Opposing this Checks nominee. Balances, yeah. Exactly right. I mean, there have been a few interruptions, obviously, uh, like Kamala Harris jumped in at one point and Chuck Grassley, uh, Pete Puma. I always like to say, Chuck Grassley sounds exactly like the Warner Brothers cartoon character, Pete Puma. This I got a little rabbit in this hole, <laughs> and I'm going to catch the little rabbit and eat uh, him up. Chuck Grassley. Yeah, that's an actual clip of Chuck Grassley from today's hearings, ladies and gentlemen. I can see the senator with rabbit ears. I can picture that. <laughs> that's, that's right. Easy to do. A whole lot of love. A whole lot of love. That's uh, Chuck Grassley. But, I mean, Chuck Grassley, of course, said, uh, you know, you're out of order, and they stopped talking. But the rule being broken is from Chuck Grassley, from the Republican uh-huh. side. And, of oh, course, yeah, several. The, the Democrats are doing well to stay um, uh, ferocious, but at the same time on the level. I mean, they're not... Yes. Yes. They're they're not coming off as you said. They're not coming off as raving lunatics or anything like that. So what they're doing is they're actually slowing the hearings down, um, them along with the protesters, and uh, and so that's important. But at the same time, the contrast between the Democrats demanding a return to regular order, or an adherence to the rules of the committee, for right. God's sake, and uh, and and Pete Puma here, I mean Chuck Grassley is just completely ignoring every single one of them. Yeah. And uh, and just completely abandoning the rule. The, the other rules don't matter. We don't have to adjourn for an executive session, even though we've got the votes to do so, you know, per well, the rules. Republicans like Grassley threw out all the rules shortly after Trump was elected president and they yeah. saw the writing on the wall and they became fearful of Trump's supporters. Right. Uh, and uh, they've been... Uh, in that mode, in that uh, defensive mode ever since. On top of everything else, the White House and Chuck Grassley have only supplied about 7% of of the documents about uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and apparently like 5% of those documents aren't for public consumption, so it's like 2% of the total number of documents. 100,000 pages of documents were withheld by Trump himself, by, you know, uh, executive privilege. So none of that is getting out. And the question is, why? What are they hiding? What are they withholding? And uh, and and this, yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to say, this is uh, a good and important battle for us to fight. Yeah. But uh, it's a tough one uh, for the senators, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, they're they're in a tough spot in in this situation. Uh, again, uh, you know, having to to walk that line. Yeah, they're doing it, but at the same time, they're under a lot of pressure to slow this whole thing down. And I think, right. I think so far so good. Yeah. yeah, and what you don't want to do is you don't want to set up a precedent for the future where you end up getting burned the same way in the next set of hearings. Like, say, Democrat X is elected in 2020, and that and Ruth Bader Ginsburg decides to resign and uh, and give everyone a, a Ginsburn. <laughs> I love that. I, <laughs> I love, love that. Kate McKinnon yeah. is a national. <laughs> 
treasure. Let me just throw yes. that in there. Yes, um, so, so let's say Ruth Bader Ginsburg resigns after a Democrat is elected in 2020. Fingers crossed. Don't get happy. What happens then? Do the Republicans try all these same things? The Republicans flip the script and try to do all of this to the Democrats. And that's the big concern. Because that's now, a tough one. And, yeah. and again, they'll have to think about how that plays with the American people. Yeah. And of course, they're going to have all of the ferocity and uh, angst of, you know, uh, a fetus porn or whatever you want to call it. They, I mean, the whole the, the anti-abortion people are going to be demanding blood with the next Supreme Court nomination because, you know, it, again, it swings the other way. The pendulum swings back and forth. And again, the one thing, the one big lesson that Trump hasn't learned and the Republicans who support Trump haven't learned is that everything he's doing sets an entirely new precedent that's that the Democrats can seize upon and which mostly they will not. I will say this, um, and the Republicans don't know this and the Republicans don't care, but the Democrats are kind of the adults in the room now, don't you think? I mean, I, well, I, sure. And I think uh, an increasing number of the American people see that, too. Yeah. I've, I've tried to emphasize this in our last couple of shows that uh, although the numbers may still show what even a 36 percent support for Trump, I think it's smaller than that. I really yeah. do. When you look at some of these uh, and in the, the latest poll that just came out in the past week, you look at some of these push comes to shove kinds of questions and when push comes to shove, yeah. his support is down around 25 percent. Yeah. And 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 really, I think that's where it really is. And, uh, you know, I'm extra mindful today of what the American people think of all this. I'm seeing, by the way, I'm seeing a lot of people on our side get to getting cold feet or getting uh, uh, getting that hopeless uh, sensation. And I, it's too early to do that. It's things are things are maybe going better than uh, in at least uh, toward justice more than it would seem on most days. Yeah. Well, we go into this buzz with uh, news of Chuck Schumer. <laughs> But cutting some sort of deal to uh, rapid fire uh, confirm a bunch of Trump's uh, judicial nominees right through the Senate. And I don't understand this. I don't know what the hell Chuck Schumer is thinking. I hope he got a huge concession from Mitch McConnell, something massive, because all we know at this point is that the trade was uh, Schumer will fast track. I think it's 15 judicial nominees by the Trump okay, administration right. in exchange for a allowing the Senate to recess so the Democrats can go back and campaign. Uh, for re-election in uh, November, which is just an insanely ridiculous and lopsided trade, uh, you know, the Republic to the Republicans advantage on this uh, by a landslide. Or or Schumer could have walked away empty-handed. I don't know yeah. what what kind of deal we're in a position to cut at this point. I don't mean to be defensive today of what appears to be weak Democrats because I don't <laughs> I don't think that's the case here. No, yeah. it's a terrible thing to have to give up those 15 lifetime appointments. Uh I, I think the bigger battle for Democrats is this Supreme Court nomination and uh if any of this will help, uh yeah. if any of this helps the delay, if any of this helps build up public momentum against Kavanaugh couldn't be much greater. If you saw uh, the pre-recorded Rachel last night, uh, you, yep. you saw the you saw the numbers on what people think of Roe v. Wade and what they think of Kavanaugh. Yep, and uh, it's it's not good. It's it's not good for him at all. Well, when I first saw this news, in fact, it was uh, Kimberly Johnson brought it up to me. She said, "Well, I can't believe what Chuck Schumer just did." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And so she described this deal. Yeah. Uh, that Schumer made with uh, McConnell right before the uh, Labor Day break. 
And uh, I said, well, there's got to be something else to this. I mean, these are the parameters of the goddamn deal. There's got to be so much more to this. I mean, I can't believe that he would just bet. And of course, I think that's. I think that's the deal. I think the deal is just time for us to go and campaign. So we're going to fast track a bunch of uh, Trump's judicial nominees. And this goes back to, uh, again, Kavanaugh, where we're looking at a a nominee for the Supreme Court, a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court by someone who is an agent of the Kremlin. And as if that isn't bad enough, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're going to get into this whole thing with this Bob Woodward book here in a second, but the president who has nominated Brett Kavanaugh is effing insane. Yes, yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, and, we, and, and we will get to that. Look, I, and Schumer may also see, Bob, yeah. that uh, despite their best efforts, Kavanaugh is very likely to be confirmed, yeah. giving conservative Republicans control of two branches of government. Mm-hmm. I think it is a higher priority to Mr. Schumer, certainly, considering his position, yeah. to uh, try to generate, uh, maintain, and strengthen uh, a Democratic check on the other two now Republican-controlled branches of government. Yeah. Uh, at, at least with time to campaign, he can pretty much assure himself of control of at least one legislative body. And the way things are going in Texas, maybe two. Uh, you know, and, and if that happens, then, you know, it's we win, it's all over. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you still have the other two branches of government still, mm-hmm. at least for now, uh, under Republican control and the Supreme Court presumably for a long time. Schumer, you know, sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you gotta make decisions you don't want to make. Sometimes yeah. you have to make deals you don't want to make, and sometimes it's for the bigger cause. I hope, you know, I, yeah, I was uh, go- gobsmacked or or gut punched uh, when I heard the news uh, about Schumer's deal as well. Yeah, but I, I gotta think, judging from the man's body of work and what he says on a day to day basis, that there had to be some very real justification for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I also think we should keep a close eye on Clarence Thomas, by the way, because I think <laughs> Clarence Thomas is someone, I mean, he's getting up there. He's born in 1948. Uh, that puts him at, uh, what, he'll be 70 this year. No, he's, he just turned 70, in fact. So he's got some time left, but if the Democrats are able to win back the White House at some point in the not-too-distant future, hopefully sooner rather than later, goddammit, uh, then it's going to be Clarence Thomas who's going to come up, and that could potentially swing the court back to 5-4 to four in favor of uh, of more liberal justices. Well, so. you know, we, we can hope. Will he go before uh, from the court before Ginsburg? Will he allow himself to go before Ginsburg? I, I think uh, that Thomas is enough of an a-hole <laughs> that he will hang on as long as he possibly can. Plus, his, uh, lo- his loyalty isn't his loyalty to the Bushes as well. I mean, it was George yes, H.W. Bush yeah, who nominated right. him to the court in the first place. And so I think... Right. He might be hesitating to step aside. I mean, again, he's still, relatively speaking, he's still a young guy, you know, based on the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 83, 84 years old. So Clarence Thomas is still pretty young. But I think what we're looking at is two more potential vacancies opening up in Uh the not-too-distant future. And I think uh, the long-term strategy has to bear that in mind, Uh, that that potentially a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, uh, with obviously with a Republican minority, is going to have to confirm at least two justices, I hope. I hope these don't. I I hope neither of them come up during Trump, for God's sake. Then we're really screwed. 
if RBG can hang on for a couple more years yeah. of that job, uh, that would be fantastic. So keep jogging Ruth. <laughs> right. It's it's RBG uh, during the Trump administration. That's what we have to watch out for. But 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 plan for Clarence Thomas potentially going uh, in a subsequent administration. I hope that's the way and, it goes. And so I and think by the way, you, you mentioned Bush, and and Bush plays into this. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but oh, I didn't okay. want to forget this, uh, as I so often do. Uh, Bush <laughs> has a has a role in this uh, Kavanaugh thing also uh, because it was Bush and his attorneys who apparently recommended to the Trump White House yeah. that uh, these 100,000 documents be withheld, mm-hmm. uh, and or at least some of them, or at least that's what we've been told. Ultimately, it was the decision of the Trump White House, but uh, every account I've read uh, has uh, Bush and his attorneys weighing in on this, and after the very nice thing he said at McCain's funeral on Saturday, it was uh, <laughs> you know business as usual <laughs> when I saw that uh, Bush had signed off on uh, on hiding and keeping from the public view uh, these documents from Kavanaugh's days in the White House. What, whoa, whoa, I didn't hear that. What Bush signed who? Kavanaugh served the Bush administration for five years, and uh, two, two and a half of those years, he served as Bush's staff secretary. Yeah, right. And, I know that. Uh, the Democrats would like to get their hands on uh, documents generated uh, during that period of time oh, uh, I see documents relating to Kavanaugh to uh, better reflect his true record and uh, th- because Bush was president he right. had to be consulted on this <laughs> and uh, he he said no his attorney said no uh, and uh, that was a joint decision on their part and uh, at least to some of them at least that's what we've been told yeah. uh, and then ultimately the Trump White House made the decision so you'll hear most of the news reports will say you know Trump did this well he did did, but just remember, asterisk, back of your mind, nice speech on Saturday. Bush had a hand in this. Jesus, God. Yeah, that's what we need is just another crazy person also making decisions when it comes to the confirmation of uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, 42,000 pages of documents were sent to the Democrats last night. 42,000 pages of documents. And that would have forced them to read, what is it, 7,000 pages per hour is the reading material they would have had to cover from last night through this morning when the uh, hearings actually began. I mean, again, what they are trying to do, uh, the Republicans are trying to sabotage the Democrats every step of the way. They're trying to uh, obstruct. Uh, Uh They're trying to keep materials Uh out of their hands so that this guy isn't derailed because I think this is more about the public view than it is about the Democratic view because I think if the public knew what were in these documents, I think we would have have a lot more concerns a lot greater concerns than we do well, even right now and, and again and again let's talk about that public view yeah. uh, the democrats can argue well we've released for over 400,000 pages of documents already yeah. which is uh more than uh the number of pages of documents that were released for the five previous supreme court nominees uh, that's not and then and then last night we gave you 40,000 more what do you what do you mean we haven't been we haven't been hiding anything <laughs> and and the, so the public hears that and they think well the democrats are just whining this is just all politics when in truth uh, perhaps 100,000 or more of the most important pages the ones we most need to see are being kept from us i uh, 
sure some are going to be redacted for national security. Uh, some perhaps can't be released at all. I, I get that. But 100,000? What are we doing here? We're hiding. We're protecting Bush. Because remember, uh, Kavanaugh played a role in this whole torture thing. And, yep. and, and, and apparently so did Bush. And so, you know, every we're all covering our asses now. Yep. And uh, so that's that's I think that explains a number of things. But it is about public perception and the the Republicans can rightly argue, hey, we've released more documents than have ever been released on a Supreme Court nominee before. What do you want? Yeah, right. Of course, it has no. There's no bearing in terms of context there. Right. I mean, never has. Can, it's that's context has never been important to them. Yeah, they can release millions and millions and millions of documents, but if it's only seven percent of the available documents <laughs> about Brett Kavanaugh and his uh, judicial record, th- then it doesn't matter. You're still well, withholding ninety three percent of the available documents about this guy, who again I, I, is going to serve a, a lifetime on the Supreme Court, right? I, I hope I'm not missing something here. I haven't seen that 7% figure. I, I have read uh, that there are 600-some thousand documents that uh, 414,000 of them had been released, and last yeah. night another forty or 42,000. So we're up to about 450,000 out of 600,000-some documents. So I'm not sure where we get the 7%, but the point is that uh, 100,000 doc- uh, pages of documents or more are being kept from view uh, based on, by the way, we haven't even said this part yet, uh, a claim of executive privilege yeah. by by this White House, <laughs> yeah. something that has never been claimed before right. on a Supreme Court nominee. Right, and not, and certainly not by the Trump administration ever, even with, re, with regard to the Russia investigation. They haven't asserted executive, executive privilege, and I'm not sure exactly why that is, I mean, but we will never know unless those documents are released. What we do know, right. again, is that we have a White House that's nominated a lifetime nominee to the Supreme Court, mm. and they're withholding all kinds of information they're being utterly secretive and obstructive about it and and why why can't we know this information and and so we have no choice but to be deeply deeply suspicious i mean and you could just take any single one of the reasons and that would be enough to stop this nomination from going forward and uh and of course we have that on a a variety of different angles when it comes to brett kavanaugh whether it's the president is nuts the president is an agent of russia uh merrick garland and retaliation for that i mean every step along the way there are thousands of reasons and thousands of justifications for each one of those not not the least of which are indications that kavanaugh would uh, lead to a ruling by a Supreme Court that a sitting president cannot be questioned, uh, interviewed, subpoenaed, or indicted. And uh, that's really why, again, why Trump is behind him. Uh, We haven't even mentioned, uh, because you don't have to, it's all over the news, uh, Kavanaugh's uh, positions and his past decisions on abortion and what he's likely to do on a Supreme Court that would now be majority anti-abortion, yeah. which, and to emphasize this again, this is a wet dream of Republicans that is decades long. <laughs> yeah. They have waited and waited and pushed and tried and even bent the rules by not even listening to, not even by completely ignoring Obama's Supreme Court nominee uh, in, in what would seem to have been an illegal act. It certainly yeah. should have been. Apparently, somehow they cleanly got away with it, but my God, they stole a Supreme Court nomination from a sitting president, uh, only to turn around. That's how 
that's the kind of erection they've had to get this done. <laughs> and and this is their chance, and by God, they're not going to let anybody get in their way, which explains the behavior of Chuck Grassley and uh, the rest of the Republicans who are... And you look at oh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski uh, selling out their views on women's rights and abortion rights uh, because they, too have dreamed for decades of a conservative Supreme Court. Uh, you talk about a long-term butthurt buzz. Uh, yeah, going, you yeah. can go back to the 80s with this, and we even saw uh, Pete Puma. A whole lot of love. We had, uh, Such saw a Chuck, weasel. <laughs> Chuck Grassley bring up Robert Bork, for God's sake, today. So they're still uh, hurting from Robert Bork. But, of course, right. Robert Bork was not worthy of the goddamn Supreme Court uh, nomination that uh, Reagan put him up for, of course. And- that he had to decline. And Harry Meyer wasn't worthy, and neither one of them, neither Bork nor Meyer, were confirmed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they, in, in polling... We're, are, we're not as unpopular as Kavanaugh is now. So we're going to take a guy who's less popular than the failed <laughs> Harriet Meyer and then the, the failed Robert Bork. We're going to take somebody less popular who's uh, liked even less than they yeah. and nominate, uh, confirm, excuse me, we're now going to confirm him right. to the U.S. Supreme Court unless Democrats can stop him. And again, you know, and I read something this morning. Somebody said uh, the Democrats are taking a butter knife. Uh, Steve Schmidt said this. We love Steve Schmidt. But he said uh, Democrats are taking a butter knife to a knife fight. Yeah. Well, uh, th- that's because the Republicans have locked away all the sharp knives. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. We, you know, it's not because Democrats, and we've seen uh, what you've witnessed today in the hearings. Democrats are doing all that they can. Will it be enough? It might not be. Yeah. They may come up short uh, and they are going to have to talk tough, which is, I think, what Steve Schmidt was really trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but 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 to, to say it that way makes it sound like uh, the Democrats are wimps and they're not really trying. Let's see how the next few days play out. I, I hope that they're as tough as they need to be. Yeah. And you know me, Buzz. I mean, I'm all about the Democrats taking whatever measures they have to take to obstruct Trump every step of the goddamn way. The problem <laughs> sure. is, though, you don't want to yeah. shoot yourself in the foot. You right. don't want to go so far, so right. outside the uh, coloring outside the lines that what happens is, is the next time we try to get a nominee through another kind of, well, Merrick Garland situation, to be perfectly frank, uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not even in an election year, and the Republicans do everything. They just they say, oh, well, here's what the Democrats did. We're just going to do the same thing to their new nominee and see if we can obstruct that. And so then it becomes this ongoing impasse where... You know, I mean, if things keep going like this, then we could end up with a Supreme Court that's got two members left because we're unable to confirm any new Supreme Court justices. So I'm not saying that we should slow walk any sort of obstruction of Brett Brett Kavanaugh. I think we need to do whatever we can to obstruct Brett Kavanaugh. Certainly, but within... And this goes back to the Steve Schmidt thing. You know, there's only so much you can do without, like I said, coloring outside the line. So I don't know what more the Democrats can do at this point. And I'm sure there are many more parliamentary things that can be accomplished yes, yes. Uh, you know on the yeah. margins of the uh, proceedings so i think i think there are things that are still to come and there are strategies that they're still going to uh, uh, execute but you know Humor, again yeah. yeah but we we hear from Chuck Schumer and these deals that are being cut behind the scenes where the democrats are getting the fuzzy all... end of the lollipop and we go god damn it <laughs> god- 
damn it. Why, why can't they? Why can't they do something where we get actually something worthwhile in return? We're we're all a little jumpy, and we're all a little in, inclined to to think that you know to be suspicious of everything. Yeah. Uh, Schumer didn't just fall off the truck. You know, he, mm-hmm. he he's been around. He knows what those parliamentary tricks are that yeah. you were referring to. And as something else, I I just feel the need to say here, and that is, uh, hypocrisy screams at me at a moment like this. Yeah. I want every news account to say that while Republicans felt that the Merrick Garland nomination was too close to an election, Democrats feel that uh, this nomination is too close to an impeachment. Yeah. yeah. Well, know, I mean, I, I said that kind of as a play on words a, a week or two ago, but damn it, that's that's... Yeah. Oh man, that burns me. That fries me. The the level of hypocrisy in that uh, it certainly motivates me to ask tough questions yeah. of uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Well, and of course, we haven't even really gotten into all of the issue reasons, the issue based reasons right. why yeah. Kavanaugh should go there. Yeah. But you know, and and that should be the parameters of the debate, really, that we're having. It shouldn't be that a president who is an agent of the Kremlin has nominated a Supreme Court justice. And what do we do when that well, president's own party is deciding to obstruct in his favor? I mean, that's a, that's a the conundrum. Before us, right? There's a middle ground there where you can kind of say that without saying it, uh, and and that is simply the use of executive privilege here right. and Kavanaugh's views on whether a president can be indicted. Yeah. It really, it really gets down to that. Oh, so they don't there's, have there's to, that Democrats, too, right? Demo- exactly. See, Democrats don't have to mention the Russia thing. They don't yeah. have to even say the R word. Everybody knows what they're talking about when they say mm. Kavanaugh believes a president should not be indicted. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's all the code we need. That's our dog whistle. And Jesus, on a day when we're getting this news... Oh, wait, I'm playing the wrong music, damn it. Okay. It's over. <laughs> the show is over. The show no, is not, over. Bob, it's not over until we say it's over. <laughs> well, did the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? Hell no. Uh, no, I mean, when we're, when we're hearing news like we heard today, uh-huh. there is no justification on any planet or, or in any universe that would allow Brett Kavanaugh to be nominated right. by this mad king in the White House. Holy crap on a stick. And this this uh, Bob Woodward book is going to be, well, it already is, explosive in every sense of the word. Wait. I, I can't wait to get to it. But on the Kavanaugh thing, this is such an important decision that we will be stuck with for decades. It changes the face of the Supreme Court, and it changes uh, the balance of power in the government. And with that said, I think we need a break. That's right. Well, people listen to this show at all kinds of crazy days and times and places. This is the nature places, of a podcast. Yeah. So some people may be listening to this today, uh, or, or they may be listening it to, to the show like like a week from now, and, uh, and and in that case, they'll know everything that we're talking about. They'll know the end result of a lot of that stuff. But you know, that's we're from a, the we're from the past. Yeah, but that's the that's the great thing about this show and all other things now available on demand, right? Mm-hmm. Postage included. Enter stamps.com. How would you like all the services of a post office 24-7 without ever leaving your home or business? No weather, no traffic, no lines, and especially with winter uh, rapidly approaching. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or any package. 
Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you get the postage exactly right every single time. A few clicks and then mail as usual. Print out your own labels, everything. Uh, and you know what? I've been using Stamps.com for c- close to 15 to 18 years. I'm not going to wow. say exactly how many years because I don't remember exactly when I started using Stamps.com, but I was an early adopter way back in like 2001, 2002, right around the time when Stamps.com first started. And I can Good tell you, you, after all of these years using Stamps.com, this is the best thing you can possibly imagine if you're mailing lots of things out, and especially with the holidays coming up, you want Stamps.com. Yeah. I'll be here when you get back, but right now, hit pause, sign up for a four-week trial period, then come back and finish listening to the show. There's a special offer if you type B-O-B-C in the box next to the microphone at the top of the homepage, Stamps.com. That's B-O-B-C in the microphone box at the top of Stamps.com for that special trial offer. Stamps.com slash B-O-B-C. You're going to love it. I promise you. The Bob Seska Show. The Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. Yeah, welcome to our Tuesday show. TV's Buzz Burbank is here today from Buzz Burbank News and Comment. And uh, I've been dying to get to this uh, Bob Woodward yeah. book. Yeah, me too. Um, by the way, make sure to go shopping through our Amazon link at bobsuska.com. It's the all-caps Amazon link just beneath the logo. It takes you right to the front page of Amazon.com. You go shopping as normal, but... We get a uh, teeny tiny commission from some of the things you buy. Thanks for doing that in advance. They they must have lawyers for outer space because that's that's what they want us to say. But we're happy to do it, and we appreciate them (laughs) allowing us to have that commission. All right. Okay, so this this Bob Woodward book, we've got to talk about this. This is so explosive. I mean, every single paragraph of this Washington Post piece that summarized some of the most Uh juicy aspects Uh of this book um plus you know the thing about all of this is there are recordings of every single goddamn conversation that bob woodward had with every single person who's quoted in this book and including the president of course yep. because eventually yes yeah, yeah. eventually right because uh we also got that today which is a, an entire mm-hmm. recording of bob woodward talking to uh donald trump and you know going back and forth about why uh, Donald Trump didn't actually talk to Bob Woodward on the record while he was doing the writing and reporting for the book. So only now that the book is finished, did Donald Trump decide, oh, maybe I should talk to Bob Woodward (laughs) and then then say uh, to Bob Woodward, why didn't you try to call me? Why didn't you try to get me on the phone so I could comment? And, and, and so we have this entire conversation between the two of them about a whole kind of, at one point, Kellyanne Conway gets on the phone. Why didn't she tell, Donald Trump that Bob Woodward's looking for him but of course then we see this other story in the Washington Post that excerpts a bunch of uh, scenes from the book and we discover exactly why that never took place because the entire White House seems to be uh, on a mission to stop Donald Trump from doing something absolutely effing nuts 
with uh, presidential power or with accidentally leaning on the nuclear button or some sort of crazy crap. And and so, I mean, we're hearing all kinds of stories now about uh, White House staffers uh, trying to talk the president out of doing certain things, stealing documents off of his desk so he doesn't sign them or he doesn't see them. Um, so you have a level of incompetence um, in, inside the Oval Office and then a bunch of babysitters who said that before? We've heard that before, that people are babysitters inside the White House, babysitting the president. What we have, the state of the executive branch now is such that you have Trump and then you have everybody else trying to protect uh, him, Trump from himself yep. and to protect the country from Trump. And thank goodness they are. And not, not all of them are. Not all of them are good at it. There is, as you understated, a, a, a great incompetence in the White House. But there are people, and uh, you know, bless Jim Mattis for, for defending us when he can. I wish I could say the same about John Kelly, who runs hot and cold. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly what we have. As you described it, a White House divided between Trump and everybody else who's uh, trying to save themselves, save him, and save the country all at the same time that's right okay so now i want to dig into this article because yes. i thought about excerpting it and saying well let's talk about this paragraph and i'll grab that yeah, paragraph no, and make all... a copy of it. no you got to read the whole damn thing and that's what we're going to do right now i want to read this whole article it was uh if... all of these excerpts were condensed and paraphrased by philip rucker and and robert costa bob costa muggsy if, uh, yeah if it, you have the washington post a follow in your hymnal uh under <laughs> under bob woodward's new book Reveals a nervous breakdown of Trump's presidency. There you go. So, so here we go. Let's read through this thing, and because there, I mean, again, there's nothing you can trim out of this. There's nothing that is <laughs> fluff. It is all worthy of being discussed. It's all uh, there. John Dowd was convinced that President Trump would commit perjury if he talked to Special Counsel Robert Mueller. So on January 27th, the president's then personal attorney staged a practice session to try to make his point and damn. It, would I love to have video of that? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it wasn't their last one. I'll, I'll, I'll continue. In the White House residence, Dowd peppered Trump with questions about the Russia investigation, provoking stumbles, contradictions, <laughs> and lies until the president eventually lost his cool. This thing's a goddamn hoax, Trump erupted at the start of a 30-minute rant that finished with him saying, I don't really want to testify. The dramatic and previously untold scene is recounted in Fear, a forthcoming book by Bob Woodward that paints a harrowing portrait of the Trump presidency based on in-depth interviews with administration officials and other principals. Woodward writes that his book is drawn from hundreds of hours of interviews with firsthand participants and witnesses that were conducted on, quote, Deep background, meaning the information could be used, uh, but he would not reveal who provided it. His account is also drawn from meeting notes, personal diaries, and government documents. Woodward depicts Trump's anger and paranoia about the Russian inquiry as unrelenting, at times paralyzing the West Wing for entire days. Wow. Learning of the appointment of Mueller in May 2017, Trump groused, everybody's trying to get me. <laughs> Part of a venting period that shell-shocked aides compared to Richard Nixon's final days as president. The final days, and yes. he still has many, many more days to go at that point. Or uh, does he? Right. The, the, well, this was early on when he was like, everyone's trying. He went right. full Nixon, like, from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, the 448-page book was obtained by the Washington Post. Woodward, an associate editor at the Post, sought an interview with Trump through several intermediaries to no avail. The president called 
called Woodward in early August after the manuscript had been completed to say he wanted to participate. We've heard this tape, by the way, today. It's also Uh a separate uh, Post article. The president complained that it would be a bad book. Bad, very bad, (laughs) according to an audio recording of the conversation. Woodward replied that his work would be tough, but factual and based on his reporting. A central theme of the book is the stealthy machinations used by those in Trump's inner sanctum to try to control his impulses and prevent disasters, both for the president personally and for the nation he was elected to lead. Woodward describes, quote, an administrative coup d'etat and a, quote, nervous breakdown of the executive branch with senior aides conspiring to pluck official papers from the president's desk so he, could, he couldn't see them or sign them. Again and again, Woodward recounts at length how Trump's national security team was shaken by his lack of curiosity and his lack of knowledge about world affairs and his contempt for the mainstream perspectives of military and intelligence leaders. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. Where he believes Fox News more than he believes his own advisors, right? right? That's his main cabinet. Mm -hmm. At a National Security Council meeting on January 19th, Trump disregarded the significance of of the massive U.S. military presence on this Korean peninsula, including a special intelligence operation that allows the United States to detect a North Korean missile launch in seven seconds versus 15 minutes from Alaska, according to Woodward. Trump questioned why the government was spending resources in the region at all. We're doing this in order to prevent World War III, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis told him. After Trump left the meeting, Woodward recounts, Mattis was particularly exasperated and alarmed, telling close associates that the president acted like and had the understanding of a fifth or sixth grader. In Woodward's telling, many top advisors were repeatedly unnerved by Trump's actions and expressed dim views of him. Secretaries of defense don't always get to choose the president they work for, Mattis told friends at one point, prompting laughter as he explained Trump's tendency to go off on tangents about subjects such as immigration and the news media. Inside the White House, Woodward portrays an unsteady executive detached from the conventions of governing and prone to snapping at high-ranking staff members whom he unsettled and belittled on a daily basis. Uh, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly frequently lost his temper and told colleagues he thought the president was unhinged. Woodward writes, in one small group meeting, Kelly said of Trump, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. town. I don't even know why any of us are here. This is the worst job I've ever had. End quote. (laughs) God damn it. Holy hell, crazy town. That's the, that's the new nickname for the White House, officially and from now on. Uh, Reince Priebus, Kelly's predecessor, fretted that he could do little to constrain Trump from sparking chaos. Woodward writes that Priebus dubbed the presidential bedroom where Trump obsessively watched cable news and tweeted, quote, the devil's workshop, <laughs> and said early mornings and Sunday evenings when the president often set off tweet storms were the witching hour. That's a quote. They know, they know. Uh, Trump apparently had little regard for Priebus. He once instructed then-Staff Secretary Rob Porter to ignore Priebus, even though Porter reported to the Chief of Staff saying that Priebus was like a little rat. He just scurries around. Few in Trump's orbit were protected from the president's insults. He often mocked former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster behind his back, puffing up his chest and exaggerating his breathing as he impersonated the retired Army General, and once said McMaster dresses in 
in cheap suits like a beer salesman. I mean, this Trump is, told, like, yeah. this is wait, wait, this is Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump talking. Donald Trump yeah, looks like he oh. bought his suits off the rack at TJ Maxx, for God's sake. They're hanging off of him like trash bags, for God's sake. And he has the nerve to insult McMaster's cheap Well, suit. and in addition to the hypocrisy of that, uh, th- that's but the tip of the insult iceberg from Trump. Yeah. Uh, it appears from this article and other accounts that he just uh, berates and belittles and insults yeah. everyone around him. Yep. Uh, Trump told Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, I'm going to go back to the article now, mm-hmm. told Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, a wealthy investor, eight years his senior, I don't trust you. I don't want you doing any more negotiations. You're past your prime. <laughs> Jesus, a near See? constant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a wonder any of these people are still loyal to this guy. Yes. I'll never understand yes. that. Uh, a near constant subject of withering presidential attacks was Attorney General Jeff Sessions, or Jeff, as we've been seeing in Trump's tweets lately. Right. Trump told Porter that Sessions was a traitor for recusing himself from overseeing the Russia investigation, Woodward writes. Mocking Sessions' accent, Trump added, this guy is mentally retarded. He's this dumb Southerner. He wouldn't even be the one, be a one-person country lawyer down in Alabama, unquote. At a dinner with Mattis and General Joseph Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, among others, Trump lashed out at a vocal critic, Senator John John McCain McCain of Arizona. He falsely suggested that the former Navy pilot had been a coward for taking early release from a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam because of his father's military rank and leaving others behind. Of course, Mattis swiftly corrected his boss. No, Mr. President, I think you've got it reversed. And of course he does. Yes. The defense secretary explained to McCain that McCain, who died August 25th, had in fact turned down early release and was brutally tortured during his Five years at the Hanoi Hill. Not enough, I guess. Not enough years uh, for uh, McCain to be tortured, according to the president, right? Oh, okay, replied Trump, (laughs) according to Woodward's account. (laughs) I'm so glad you got to read that line. (laughs) So funny. With Trump's rage and defiance impossible to contain, cabinet members and other senior officials learned to act discreetly. Woodward describes an alliance among Trump's traditionalists, including Mattis and Gary Cohn, the president's former top economic advisor, to stymie what they considered dangerous acts. It felt like we were walking along the edge of a cliff perpetually, Porter's quoted as saying. Other times, we would fall over the edge and an action would be taken. Right, and make sure to underscore here, Porter is quoted as saying. So this uh-huh. is this is yes. Rob Porter speaking directly. Source. Exactly. Yes. To Bob Woodward, and there are recordings. There are tapes of all of this. After Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad launched a chemical attack on civilians in April 2017, Trump called Mattis and said he wanted to assassinate the dictator. Quote, let's fucking kill him. Let's go in. Let's kill the fucking lot of them, Trump said, according to Woodward. Mattis told the president he'd uh, get right on it. But after hanging up the phone, he told a senior aide, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to be much more measured. The national security team developed options for the more conventional airstrike that Trump ultimately ordered. Uh, Cohn, a Wall Street veteran, tried to tamp down Trump's strident nationalism regarding trade. According to Woodward, Cohn, quote, stole a letter off Trump's desk that the president was attending to sign formally to formally withdraw the United States from a trade agreement with South Korea. Uh-huh. Cohn later told an associate that he removed the letter to protect national security and that Trump did not notice that it was missing. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. my God. 
didn't not, and I remember I remember Trump saying that he was going to dump the trade agreement with South Korea so and then nothing I. and then we never heard any more about it right. now you know why oh, <laughs> isn't that fun I mean okay. South Korea I mean not only that's I mean we got to talk about this for just a second the fact sure. that Donald Trump tried to negotiate with North Korea and needed uh-huh. China's help in that all at the right. same time attacking China in a ridiculous trade war of choice this is Trump's MO so he was going to go into a North Korea thing after already having pissed off South Korea for God's sake right Trump always makes things worse for Trump right yeah, and, and Mr. Cohn, you were just talking about Cohn, yes. C-O-H-N. He made a similar play to prevent Trump from pulling the United States out of the North American Free Trade Agreement, mm. NAFTA, something the president's long threatened to do. In spring 2017, Trump was eager to withdraw from NAFTA and told Porter, why aren't you getting this done? It's your job. Do your job. Tap, tap, tap. You're just tapping me along. I want to do this. <laughs> Under orders from the president. Oh. Right. See, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about that last quote. Because it seems exactly like something Donald Trump would say with the tap, tap, tap. Because right. he does the bing, bong, yeah. bing, bong, bing thing all the time. Well, and he's impatient, so yeah. Yeah, and he's a yeah. dick. And there's, so that's <laughs> happening, too. So there's that. Under orders from the president, Porter drafted a notification letter withdrawing from NAFTA, but he and other advisors worried that it could trigger an economic and foreign relations crisis. So Porter consulted Cohn, who told him, according to Woodward, quote, I can stop this. I'll just take the paper off his desk. <laughs> it worked before. Before, right? <laughs> Why not? The post continues. Despite repeated threats by Trump, the United States has remained in both packs. The administration continues to negotiate new terms with South Korea, as well as with its NAFTA partners, Canada and Mexico. Cohn came to regard the president as, quote, a professional liar, unquote. His own people. And threatened to resign in August 2017 over Trump's handling of a deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. Cohn, who is Jewish, was especially shaken when one of his daughters found a swastika in her college dorm room. That brings it home. Can you imagine oh, being Jesus. a father and finding that in your daughter's dorm room? Yeah, and working for the guy who was partly who, responsible for making it happen. Exactly. Trump, uh, the story continues, was sharply criticized for initially saying that both sides were to blame. At the urging of advisors, he then condemned white supremacists and neo-Nazis, but almost immediately told aides, that was the biggest fucking mistake I've made and the worst speech I've ever given according to Woodward's account. <laughs> this is fascinating and revealing. Jesus Christ, this makes it so much worse. Yeah, it does. So much worse. That than... means he doesn't see That's the error right. of his ways, as we suspected, right. Right? which kind of is reassuring to me. Yeah. Because I would have been, it would have been disturbing to think there was a, a, a shred of conscience there. So again, condemning white supremacists and neo-Nazis, one of which uh, committed an act of terrorism against right. counter-protesters uh th- th- saying right. that was the biggest mistake biggest fucking mistake to quote the president that he right. has ever made the worst yeah, speech he's ever back. walking it back uh, was the biggest mistake unbelievable yeah. when cohen met with trump to deliver his resignation letter after charlotte by, by the way it meant to say uh cone not cohen cone right it's uh sticky. the economic advisor cone met with trump to deliver his resignation letter after charlottesville the president told him this is treason unquote, and persuaded his economic advisor to stay on. Treason, he said to Cohn. Unbelievable. Kelly uh, then uh-huh. confided to Cohn that he shared Cohn's horror at Trump's handling of the tragedy and shared Cohn's fury with Trump. I would have taken that resignation letter and shoved it up his ass six different times, <laughs> Kelly told Cohn. 
according to Woodward. <laughs> Kelly himself has threatened to quit several times, but has not done so. Woodward illustrates how the dread in Trump's orbit became all-encompassing over the course of Trump's first year in office, leaving some staff members and cabinet members confounded by the president's lack of understanding about how government functions... See also Schoolhouse uh-huh. Rock, for God's uh-huh. sake. And his inability uh-huh. and unwillingness to learn. Unwillingness to learn. Uh-huh. Embraced by so much of America now. Yep. Uh, and the story continues. At one point, Porter, who departed in February amid domestic abuse allegations, is quoted as saying, this was no longer a presidency. This is no longer a White House. This is a man being who he is. Such moments of panic are a routine feature, but not the thrust of Woodward's book, which mostly focuses on substantive decisions and internal disagreements, including tensions with North Korea, as well as the future of U.S. policy in Afghanistan. Woodward recounts repeated episodes of anxiety inside the government over Trump's handling of the North Korean nuclear threat. One month into his presidency, Trump asked Dunford for a plan to uh, for a preemptive military strike oh, on Jesus North Korea, God. which rattled which rattled the combat veteran. In the fall of 2017, as Trump intensified a war of words with Kim Jong Un, nicknaming North Korea's dictator "Little Rocket Man," in a speech uh-huh. at the United Nations, God, Good that that one. Se- I mean, right there, the, it's calling a. Uh, Kim Jong-un, little rocket man at the United at Nations. The UN. Oh, that makes us look good. Yeah. It? Oh, hey, we've never looked so good. Uh, AIDS worried the president might be provoking Kim, but Woodward writes, Trump told Porter that he saw the situation as a contest of wills. This is all about leader versus leader, man versus man, me versus Kim. Right. It's all you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the story, we, they're just about to wrap up here. I think we're coming near it. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, the, the book also details Trump's impatience with the war in Afghanistan, which had become America's longest conflict. At a July 2017 National Security Council meeting, Trump dressed down his generals and other advisors for 25 minutes, complaining that the United States was losing according to Woodward. Quote, the soldiers on the ground could run things much better than you, Trump told them. They could do a much better job. I don't know what the hell we're doing. Uh, He went on to ask, how many more deaths? How many more lost limbs? How much longer are we going to be there? Well, you know what? The problem here is that uh, he ought to be asking George W. Bush these questions because here's what happens. Now, we're not just there to contain the Taliban. We're there to keep the Taliban away from Pakistan's nuclear weapons. That's why we're there. I mean, you want to know, and I hope someone's explained this to Donald Trump, that we're the only ones standing between the Taliban and having nuclear weapons. I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. Yeah, but Obama started ISIS. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I heard that somewhere. Uh, <laughs> the, the story continues. The president's family members, while sometimes touted as his key advisors by other Trump chroniclers, are major players in Woodward's account, popping up occasionally in the West Wing and vexing adversaries. Woodward recounts an expletive-laden altercation between Ivanka Trump, the president's eldest daughter and a senior advisor, uh, and Stephen K. Bannon, the former chief uh, White House strategist. You're a goddamn staffer, Bannon <laughs> screamed at her, telling her that she had to work through Priebus like other aides. You walk around this place and act like you're in charge, and you're not. You're on staff. Ivanka Trump, who had special access to the president and worked around Priebus, replied, quote, I'm not a staffer. I've never been a staffer. I'm the first daughter. <laughs> Such tensions boiled among many of Trump's core advisors. Priebus is quoted as describing Trump officials not as rivals, but as natural predators when you put a snake and a rat and a falcon and a rabbit and a shark and a seal in a zoo without walls things start getting nasty and bloody priebus said 
you know, I like him just a little bit more Me for too. that quote. Me I, too. I, I, that's I will, I'll draw the line there, but I do like that. <laughs> Uh, it continues. Hovering over the White House was Mueller's inquiry, which deeply embarrassed the president. Woodward describes Trump calling his Egyptian counterpart to secure the release of an imprisoned charity worker and President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi saying, Donald, I'm worried about this investigation. Are you going to be around? Trump relayed the conversation to Dowd and said it was, uh, quote, like a kick in the nuts, according to Woodward. The book vividly recounts the ongoing debate between Trump and his lawyers about whether the president would sit for an interview with mm -hmm. Mueller. On March 5th, Dowd and Trump attorney Jay Sekulow met in Mueller's office with the special counsel and his deputy, James Quarles, where Dowd and Sekulow reenacted Trump's January practice. They reenacted Trump's That's January right. practice session for Mueller. Oh, I, I, I would like to see them take the show on the road. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop at my house at some point. Yes. Please yes. come on over. I want to see this. I want to hear this i just can't believe i wonder if trump knows well she certainly knows now but i wonder if trump knew at the time that Sekolo and dowd actually reenacted that ridiculous uh, practice session for El robert Mueller. that's amazing El El elton john is writing the score right now for the <laughs> Dowd then explained to Mueller and Quarles why he was trying to keep the president from testifying. Quote, I'm not going to sit here and let him look like an idiot. And you publish that transcript because everything leaks in Washington and the guys overseas are going to say, I told you he was an idiot. I told you he was a goddamn dumbbell. What are we dealing with this idiot for? John, I... Understand, Mueller replied, according to Woodward. Later that month, Dowd told Trump, don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Orange jumpsuit. There it yeah, is. See, and, and Trump knows. But Trump, concerned about the optics of a president refusing to testify and convinced that he could handle Mueller's questions, had by then decided otherwise. <laughs> it, it, I'll be a, a real good witness, Trump told Dowd, according to Woodward. You are not a good witness, Dowd replied. Mr. President, I'm afraid I just can't help you. The next morning, Dowd resigned. And there, End ladies and gentlemen. And it's a 30, as they say at the end of print journalist stories. <laughs> this is uh, this is so Bravo. massive. I mean, I, this is got this is easily going to be one of the the, the best selling books of all time. I am going to aside from the salacious quality. I mean, and by salacious, I mean who doesn't like to listen in on a conversation <laughs> like this, especially with a guy like Trump. Uh, but more than that, more than the Schadenfreude or whatever we get out of whatever kind of twisted joy we get out of hearing. Uh, these things. There are uh, there's breaking news in here. There are two or yeah. three stories in this story that we did not know well, before. And I know other journalists are still ferreting things out of the book. Well, I mean, that's why I wanted to read it because again, there was no way to just highlight important sections. The whole damn thing is important, especially in the context of the fact that Brett Kavanaugh is, as we speak, sitting before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, on on a path to be confirmed after being nominated by this goddamn mental patient in the White House. I mean, how much more contrast, how much more fuel do you need to stop oh. all of this? I mean, Haven't the president... Been asking, isn't that... That's, that's been the question of the hour for months now. You can quote me on that. The question of the hour for months now yeah. has been that very thing. And the people are asking today... How much longer can this go on? 
<sighs> I don't know, but you can see the writing on the wall, can't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, surely you see that this will not end well for Trump, and sadly, probably not for the country, but that it will end. Yeah, the president is unfit to serve in the White House. He is. Yeah. He is completely out to lunch. He's fine. What do you say? Wait, do you want to play? Uh, you want to play Mueller, and I'll play Trump, or the other way around? Maybe we can alternate. Uh, and when we take the show on the road, <laughs> that's right. Lynn Manuel Miranda can write the score, and we'll then we'll do our own damn show. <laughs> there you go. That's right. I think we should tour with a dramatic reading of uh, various Washington Post articles. How about that? <laughs> that's great. I think we'll sell out uh, stadiums. That's uh, that's well, how popular we, it'll be. We, we we would have very good writers. <laughs> Well, lots more to talk about. Of course, we're going to shove everything over to Postmortem Show. You want to listen to the Postmortem Show over at our Patreon page. As I said earlier, get there through bobseska.com and just click the all caps Patreon link. And then sign up for uh, various levels of bonus content. $5 a month, $10 a month, $15 a month. Take your pick, whatever you can afford. And uh, not only do you help support the show, but you get great bonus content that goes along with it. And that, of course, includes the Postmortem Show. We just keep talking after this music finishes playing. And uh, and those of you who subscribe at at least $5 a month get to hear all of that extra show, all of that extra conversation, all of the things that we didn't get to on the free portion of the show. So go Go and do that right now. We thank you in advance for that. Uh, Buzz Burbank can be found at buzzburbank.com. Also at Michael J. Elston on Twitter. Uh, you can find Jody Hamilton at from-the-bunker.com. And round of applause to Jody Hamilton for doing a great yeah. job filling in for uh, Stephanie Miller all last week. Jody. Jody. Jody on the show. Uh, Jackie Schechner's at investigaterussia.org. Stephanie Miller is, of course, at stephaniemiller.com. Uh, Kimberly Johnson can be found at patreon.com slash startmeup. And lots still to talk about, so stay with us. Bye-bye.